0: Welcome everyone to episode 49 of the Asian Cinema Film Club and uh, I'm your host as always, Edward Jones and joining me of course is your my co-host, Mr Stephen Palmer For the 49th
1: time, hello! <laughs> Didn't you try to do something fancy this week then? No, I couldn't think of anything I've, I've okay. lost it, my brain's turned to jelly It's it's the end <laughs> I don't know how long you've been at home for but I've been at home a week longer and I'm, I'm, I'm losing it
0: I know, and while outside is descending into chaos and confusion, we're still here for you people, broadcasting from our bunker deep beneath the Earth's core. We have a pile of Snickers and a stack of Asian cinema, and tonight's film is a real treat as we're checking out 2005's French filler, A Bittersweet Life, brought to you by the director of a Tale of Two Sisters, Kim Ji Woon. A little more on that a bit later uh, because of course it's of course time to ask what you've been watching Stephen. since our last episode have you been watching
1: anything interesting or uh, in terms of Asian cinema I've watched a couple of things um, one interesting one more akin to self-abuse um, so the first thing I watched was something I've had in my watch pile for a long long time I got sent some ...copies of this to review... ...many, many moons ago... ...and I didn't end up doing the review... Um, ...so it was a first time catch... ...from me for... um was well, the first in a trilogy... ...of Hiroshi Inagaki... ...Samurai Trilogy... of ...Samurai One... ...Musashi Miyamoto... ...which is a... ...1954... ...Samurai film... Um, ...like I say it's first... ...in a trilogy of films that he made... In 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 a couple of years, starring everybody's favourite Toshirô Mifune as um as the lead character. Um, the lead character by the end of the film uh, becomes renamed due to the the plot as um one of the sort of. We spoke last episode. We spoke a couple of other times about these sort of folk heroes of Chinese literature and cinema and and, and TV. Well. Japan has these as well, and one of these is the famous Japanese swordsman Miyamoto Musashi, um, who's had had more jewels and everybody i don't really understand the history i'm not very good on japanese history but um he's one of these sort of folk heroes that, that has many films and stories and books and tv shows about him and this basically is a is an interpretation of his story it's a much more of a melodrama than a classic samurai film um it's very much about the very early days i look forward to watching the other two films where i think it becomes a little more um uh obvious what's going on it very much felt like the first film in a in a trilogy so it ends very abruptly and reaches the point very abruptly but it's beautifully shot wonderfully acted and yeah really a really interesting um film it's also i think it was toho's second color film so um it's got a bit of sort of historical interest as well and it look it looks glorious but it looks, you know, it looks like a British or American film from 1954, really. Mm. Um, it is, you know, but but don't go to it expecting sort of uh, Lone Wolf and Cub kind of samurai, the neo samurai thriller excitement of gushings of blood. There's a, there's, a, there's a few things are thrown, but it's it's much more of a, a, a melodramatic piece and a, a pseudo historical piece. Have you ever seen samurai films? I've seen
0: samurai films, and I've seen both sides of the spectrum. I mean, I've obviously seen like the pop samurai movies, such as you know, Lady Snowblood and the Lone Wolf and Cub movies, and I've also seen like the more classy first, such as like Sword of Doom and uh, the Kurosawa efforts, like Jimbo and um, uh, Seven Samurai.
1: Yeah, so this is this is this 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 sits somewhere in between these movies. I I feel. Um, they, I think it I...
0: sounds like the sort of movie that David Brook. Um, would really be getting a kick out of so, and and I
1: wouldn't be surprised if he's written
0: something on the blog about it because he, he <laughs> like he he it's so hard to when we obviously like because obviously when he sends me the movie vote stuff over, and you think oh he's just right like it's classy sort of thing, and then he send me like this raven review about some trashy um <laughs> some trashy thing something like a street mobster or. Like the once upon a time in China trilogy and the dislike raves for enthusiastic. So it's very hard to know what
1: exactly is enthralling him. He has he has he has a broad church of taste for sure. But I'm I'm almost certain he's written something about this, if not for us, for somebody else. Um it was released as a Criterion collection and over here can't remember who it was released by probably by eureka or someone like that um and like i said that there are a set of three films i'll be watching the others over the rest of the week no doubt and um update you when i come to the next um so yeah very very recommended but but not not um not as pop samurai as you say as as something that's very much more of a like a Doctor Who historical. For, for the Doctor Who fans out there, they know what I mean. Okay, right. And the other film I watched was this evening. I decided to re watch for the first time in maybe 16 odd years, possibly longer. I watched um, Hideo Nakata's Ring 2. All right. Now, I, I happened to have got the Ring box set, the Blu-ray box set last year, but I yeah. was determined not to watch it on Blu-ray because I can't watch the Ring films um, in Blu-ray. It would miss the point. So I found a really low-quality download of it to so pretend I was watching it on VHS. Now, I haven't watched this for a long time. I don't remember it very um, very avidly. And, of course, it's, it's the other sequel to Ring. So Ring is a film which I have some issues with but um, was formative in my real take up in Asian cinema and when Ring was um, released it had already been a highly successful novel of which I recommend highly and a very successful TV show which you know give or take Um, so when they released it they thought it was going to go gang busters within japan at least i don't think they expect it to become a worldwide phenomenon but they also released a sequel called raisin or, or, or spiral at exactly the time same time which was um directed by someone else who i can't remember but it, it, it it's irrelevant Ra- raisin is incredibly it's incredibly faithful to the second novel the spiral book by um what's the fellow called that wrote the books, Koji Suzuki. Yeah. Um, However, everyone loved Ring. No one went to see Raisin. <laughs> and so they decided to, to get um, Hideo Nakata to come and write his own sequel. Stop me if this sounds like something that happened in Western cinema as well. Um, so he takes, basically, he, he takes a sequel view from his last film. We forget about Raisin just doesn't happen, doesn't exist. Although... The later Sadako films are sequels to Raisin. It's very confusing. Anyway, this film takes um, a couple of minor characters from the previous film. Um, pretty much starts sort of the, the next day. And just doesn't have anything about it. Which the original Ring film had about it. It's a horrible mess with a few nice set pieces. That's far more interested in people with psychic powers than some vengeful hermaphroditic ghost girl. Yeah, it, I remember now why I hadn't got round to watching it before, because it's it, I just just incredibly disappointing and probably gives a very good idea why Hideo Nakata hasn't really made a decent film since Ring.
0: What happened to Hideo Nakata? He kind of dropped off the map after Dark Water, didn't he? It's I mean no, what well, was the last film that I really remember from being really excited about from him yeah. and then I don't remember anything after that
1: so this is before Dark Water so, so I'll take back what I said, he made Dark Water then he went to America and made The the, the Ring 2
0: oh yes, that's right
1: and then he made a film called Kaidan um, and then he just made uh, I think I think he also made What didn't he make one of the Death Note films can't help thinking he did that anyway he has basically gone and made worse and worse films things like um the insight mill and Chatroom. um oh, i've seen several others um up until is a, a film i haven't seen which is his um, his sadako from 2019 but i'm sure i will but basically he's lived within the horror genre i think ghost theater is another one i've seen and they're all dreadful um they're all derivative. Um, you know, he he can do the odd jump scare, but he doesn't deliver vision at all. Yeah, his 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 career after two thousand and two, you could you could see in terms of quality. Definitely a a downward curve, um, but he's still able to pump them out. He's, he's he's been pumping films out for the last five years. There's about seven or eight films he's made the last five years. So somebody wants to see them, or everyone's hoping he's going to have a, another ring, <laughs> but I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I remember Ring 2 when it came out, and it I was kind of excited to see it, but at the same time, it was sort of like, Ring 1 was so self-contained, it didn't really need a sequel, and then I remember watching it, it was just so confusing, the plot scene was, and especially when you get into all the psychic elements and all this what I'm sure is really enthralling testing, whether it's like, oh, this water's been cyclically subjected, and now it goes higher up the paper than this other water which hasn't, and it's like, wow,
1: this is real fascinating stuff, guys. Yeah, oh, well, well, they just display capillary action, um, and and try and make it something. Yeah, and 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 basically take it takes the um, the sort of the, the student of so the main the main character from the last film, her husband's um uh student who i think we're meant to assume is also his lover takes the lead and she's utterly charmless and without personality and the son of our old lead character is in there and the lead turns up for about 20 minutes in the middle and just disappears Mm. um and yeah and it and then and then one character suddenly's got psychic powers the young son having psychic powers i guess comes from his father did have the psychic powers in the first film which is unfortunately in the first novel the whole psychic powers thing is a thing yeah um uh, um which it's very it's very barely mentioned in the first ring film it, um the first ring novel is a is, is more of a medical thriller the main character is a man not a woman and the and the, and the person that that the husband is just his best mate and there's some interesting stuff going on and then the second film is is more of a medical thriller and then the third novel is this really weird sci-fi where it says everything that happened in the last two movies all happened within a virtual computer program and I believe he's made another novel but I haven't read S so I don't know <laughs> but um, one of the reasons I got into Asian Cinema was this, this whole wonderful complexity around Ring and the different movies and the tv show and the books and the way that it's spawned all kinds of different interpretations of a fairly modern story obviously we are used to you know how many times has a shakespeare play been interpreted a different way you know that's fine but modern novels don't often get reinterpreted quite so often in so many ways um and it's still going on, you know, literally they made a Sodako film last year <laughs> um, I, I reviewed the Sodako versus uh, what's the what's the character called in the Grudge films?
0: Uh,
1: Juwan? Yeah, but in the Juan film, the, the ghost is called something in and now oh, I'm gonna Oh, go...
0: um Yeah, I can't film what it is now, I know it's on Shudder, and I didn't watch it for whatever reason, so Nah,
1: um uh what was it called come on Stephen. sadako versus kiako that's it kiako's the ghost from mama um, and at that time i think i worked out there was something like 19 different spin-offs and those of those of those two film franchises which come head to head in one another abysmal effort um again plenty of a couple of nice little moments, but as a whole, just didn't make jot of sense. And trying to link the two franchises up together was pointless, and and the big battle was a bit disappointing. Um, but they've made even more, and I just I just find it fascinating. I, I can't think of anything else in in Asian cinema that's had so many connected or inspired by you know when we talk about the Wang Fei Hung movies, you know, yeah. the, the the novels and the stories and the comic books. That's been over a hundred years. Um, ring was written in like 1995 or something like that it's but it, and it's had nearly 20 maybe 20 spin-offs in various way shapes or form and i find that fascinating however a bit of a ramble don't bother with ring 2 i've now wasted my life uh, for an hour and a half twice in my life <laughs> and i would actually recommend raisin which is a much more interesting film but um tonally quite different
0: yeah, all I really remember about Termin uh, I mean, 2 too, though, is uh, there's a good ending. I thought the ending was a fun twist on things. And but with the Sadako, I mean, she obviously ushered in that whole era of long-haired ghost girls. And there was that period where a, a Sadako doll would outsell a Freddy Krueger glove in Japan by like four four times the
1: amount. And she threw out the first pitch of the, of the baseball season, and. Um... You know, it it it's a, it's a cash cow, and people in Japan do go and watch the Sadako movies. Um, I'm not convinced that that still inspires. A world. didn't they make they made that Rings movie in the states? Didn't they a few years ago, which missed the point and flopped dismally. And um, I think that was the well,
0: end yeah. I mean, the fact that we even had an American remake of the film was, and I've still not seen it. Um, and the only thing I, from what I gather, is that it's worth seeing it for is when the horse jumps off the boat. Um, I will say but...
1: so. So Gore Verbinski's remake of The Ring is fantastic. Okay, <laughs> he, he 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 moves it. He they, they set it in islands sort of off Seattle, sort of in the, in that sort of Washington State way, and 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 it fits perfectly. Brian Cox is really good in it. Um, who's the woman that's in it? Um, Naomi Watts is the okay, lead yeah. and they ridiculously changed to to be called Samara but it's it's an unnecessary but really really well done um, remake of of all those remakes that happened at the time I would say that that is if it's not the best it's one of the best mm. then they got Nakata over to do the sequel and it's dreadful and like I say <laughs> a few years ago they, they did another sequel called Rings which I haven't seen but disappeared without a trace no
0: I've not as I said I've had nothing to do with the American ones and as I said it's like how do you replicate the sheer terror of the ending of the original ring movie when everybody I mean, knows what the, what it is <laughs> well that's the thing it's like as I was saying to someone else the other day is that it's like auditions now have essentially been spoiled for a whole generation the fact that it's on every scariest movie list going and they always show like the key twist Whenever they're showing like sequences from it, and it's sort of like that's not what auditions about. That's the that's the sting in this tale. It's but you're here presenting it like oh, it's this girl who goes around and carves people up, and it's really it's not that sort of movie. So it uh, ruins it on so many 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 fronts. So, but uh, yeah, it's as I said, I just stuck with the original original trilogy, and I saw Spiral. Uh, when that came out, and that was sort of the curiosity one, and I saw the Korean one as well.
1: With Do uh, Na is in that.
0: Yeah, so, uh, but, yeah, as I said, none of them have, uh, have really sort of resonated with me the same way that that original film did, and obviously it paved the way for so much of the cinema we
1: now talk about, so. in, in Indeed, and and obviously, it's, you know, the look of Sudarko is is drawn from, not you know, from outside it they're nothing to do with the books, basically. <laughs> mm. but very little to do with the books is in it. And it's draw, it's drawing from a, a sort of that oh I forget what they call Japanese ghosts. Um but you know it's 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 a very uh, very drawn from folklore and that, that whole look of it. And then we saw that you know, we see like the Whispering Corridors films in Korea have a very similar sort of you know, that long haired ghost girl um the film. Dead Friend, which is another film i love, which takes the same visuals, hair—you know, lots of films with hair appearing in plug holes and things like that. And, and we just yeah.
0: had the um, the new Harry Ghost movie on Shudder. Uh, was it 0. 0.0 megahertz or something?
1: Uh, I, I, I
0: haven't seen that. But yeah, you know, you're it, lucky it's... not to be subjected to that trailer like five hundred times a day. Like <laughs> then.
1: But it's uh, you know, it's it's drawn from folklore with a modern twist, and then of course we had all you know. The the, the, the the main problem with ring is is it, it's about videotapes and how things can share and and the later Sodako movies try to update that for the modern world well the thing is is something that's going to go viral on youtube which one of the films does do it's going to be a very quick film it's gonna be the infection's gonna be pretty pretty quick um and and so it and, and there's lots of people who've never used a videotape and don't understand what it is and um it, it it's the the delivery method has has dated quite badly, hasn't it?
0: I know it's of its time. There's something, as I said, there's something special about a VHS cassette mm. um, that that you just don't get with oh a Phantom DVD. It doesn't really have the same sort of thing. It's sort of like if you're doing like haunted objects of of cinema then yes you can have the haunted scene films we saw with like john Carpenter's cigarette burns that he did for masters of horror uh or as i said with the ring it's like that that cursed vhs cassette it's something that's got some real sort of physical presence whereas like a dvd or a blu-ray has just got it's a little more disposable
1: indeed there's something some some tactile that's missing now now some other films have have done it um there's obviously uh, in Suicide Circle or Suicide Junction, the Sion Sono film. Um, there's obviously there's the song, there's the melody that 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 gets infected, and there's a Korean horror film called White Melody of the Curse, which sort of takes some um, Korean um, K- 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 K-pop and 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 adds that in, and so so there's 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 an oral melody kind of idea, yep. which and uh, then... which kind of works and then yep. you have got Death Note, which is a book. Indeed, so yeah. It's it's
0: it's all in the pre- it's all in the presentation of the item. Um mm. when it when it comes to these things and yeah, thing a viral <laughs> a viral video. I mean, they tried to I think they did it with like fear.net, and tried to do like something with like the internet and um that didn't really work and it's it, it's got to have some some ness to it. Um I and think not just so being like disposable, so
1: and there is something glorious about a videotape that, that young, young young listeners you, you won't understand, but uh, I'm sure Elwood and I will remember about the, the glory of the of the physical tactile nature of a, of a video cassette, you know, sticking your finger in the tab and lifting up the uh, the cover, or, or, or and the case, and and all that kind of thing. And, and we don't. It's not the same with a DVD or a Blu-ray, and it's certainly no. not the same with a digital download.
0: Cool. Um, anything else you saw?
1: No, I think that's more than enough for me. What about you, sir?
0: Okay, for myself, um, I've got another Shaw Brothers movie crossed off the list with Man of Iron from 1972. Um, this is a spiritual sequel to The Fantastic Boxer for Shang Tung, which if you've not seen, I really recommend checking it out. And here reunites a team of, uh, Paul Hayes, Louis, and, uh, Shaw Brothers legend Shang Che. And this is a story set 20 years after... Uh, box from Shantung and it's when I say it's a spiritual sequel you don't have to have seen it because basically all you need to know is covered in the opening monologue where they basically say that 20 years ago something bad happened here and we're still in the same part of Shanghai the story itself follows a cocky young gangster played by Chung Kuei Tan who's basically trying to get more power for him and his gang and this upsets the local crime bosses uh, with unsurprisingly violent results um, this also isn't helped by the fact that he takes a romantic inkling to one of the casino boss's mistresses. And um, I was hoping that we were going to have a week where we were not going to be talking about some Kung Fu weird. But no, this film certainly delivers on that front as well. As his uh, his unique way of picking up this uh, this young girl is to first of all drive a motorcycle through a house and then slap her up a bit, which apparently is all it takes to have her fall deeply in love with him. And uh, this isn't even really the half of it, as this is a film which also features gangsters welding giant switchblades, and we also get to see him put in in some little bike foo as he uh, uses a bicycle and a bike chain to memorable use. Um, Now, this is one of those sort of films where it's sort of like the one versus the mob, so rather than having you know him going through like a line of guys it's normally him versus like 20 guys and he sort of like gets beaten down and then he battles his way up again <coughs> so depending on what sort of fight style that you like from your kung fu movies it may or may not be uh sort of lost on you but we do get to see a less booked up bolo young here yeah. on uh heavy duties and these Kind of a little more uh, slimmer, a little younger, and he's not quite the beast that we see see in Bloodsport and Enter the Dragon. So um, as always, it's interesting to see him turn up in things, and he's certainly good enough. The film itself, the plotting is okay, but there's certainly enough sort of brutal fight scenes throughout to keep your interest. So certainly if you're like myself and stuck waiting for your wife while she goes into Tesco and you're stuck hanging in the car with the kids, then Man of Iron's certainly not a bad way to pass the time. And uh, it's pretty quick, really, under about an hour and a half, so it's hardly going to take up too much of your time as well. So that was my uh, main
1: sort of watch of this week. Do you want a bit of a shock? Sure. I I not only have watched that film, but I reviewed it five years ago. Oh, did you? (laughs) I did. And I was just having a look to see what I said. (laughs) And I said, solid but unspectacular. In yeah. adventure fight scenes and one iconic moment, which I'm guessing is when um the, the he drives the motorbike into the um, <laughs> into into the um mansion. Yeah, I, I thought it was it was two and a half out of five seems a bit light, but I was I was a harsh harsher person five years ago than I am now. I gave um, three and a half, I did, so but um <laughs> I'm what, much what, more generous, <laughs> apparently what I am interested in is I got it, um, it was when they were the Shaw brothers, load of Shaw brothers films was put onto iTunes. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know how you watched it, but what I found was in the copy I had is that the Chinese, the, I guess it was Mandarin. Yeah. The, the, the Mandarin had a fantastically funky soundtrack, but if you moved it to the English dub, it was a really boring soundtrack. (laughs) So they'd not only, not only changed the, 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 the um the speaking, they changed all the music as well and it was much less enjoyable in in the English dub, more more than normal because um because they changed the, the all the all the musical all the all the soundtrack and music cues. Um so I d I don't know I don't know how you watched it. Was it on
0: I watched this on um on Amazon Prime because yeah. Amazon Prime's got a whole load of short brothers. Yeah, well
1: I think they all came off they all they all got released onto iTunes and Netflix and a couple of years ago they all disappeared and all went off to Amazon Prime so. Okay. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, because this was one I really wanted to see. I mean it was, I saw it in like, one of the trailers for the Al Network who were uh, basically had the rights I'm not sure they do they had the rights to the Shaw Brothers catalog and they would have this as one of their marathons I thought it looked pretty pretty uh, cool and it was certainly a different one because I it's, it's more of a modern-day setting for a Shaw Brothers movie than your sort of traditional setting um, so seeing our main guy going around in like a leather jacket and kind of having that greaser sort of style to him is pretty interesting the soundtrack, as I said, I only the one I saw was uh, the sub version, so it did have that black style soundtrack. It also has that horrible romantic musical cue that <laughs> that constantly pops up, and it's like the worst piece of music. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know if I was gonna watch anything, I mean, I would prefer to watch Boxer and Shang Tang again, uh, which is also on Amazon Prime as well. So. It's... Um, yeah, there, there are better Chang chi movies. Directed yeah, movies oh, definitely so. I mean, when you talk about Chang chi I mean, he's one of the main guys of of the Shaw Brothers' uh, sort of family of directors that they have there. and Especially his films that he does with, like, God and, uh, and You in particular, are, mm. are really all pretty fantastic. I'm just um so i mean you look at things such as like i don't know look at like five daily venoms five element ninjas which we've talked about on the show before um i mean obviously five daily venoms is um, a real sort of stand out there on the other side of things it's not actually a uh, an asian movie but i thought it was interesting enough to discuss because it's so clearly trying to homage um those sort of classic Kung Fu movies. And that's uh, a film recommended to me by com, and that's the exploitation movie Dragon Hunt from 1990 starring the Trin Dragons Michael and Martin McNamara um, here as a pair of uh, kickboxing martial artists who uh, are forced into like a deadliest game style situation by uh, this one-handed punk Mobster guy who apparently has rounded up the most random collection of bad guys that would make a GI episode, GI Joe episode blush, uh, including a real fat guy ninja. And we're talking about ninja as in the Americanization one, so he's a big fat guy in a red ninja suit running around the woods. It's okay. I mean, the McNamara brothers are kind of pretty well-renowned for not only bringing kickboxing to Canada, where they had a number of studios, uh, they also had a number of run-ins with the local sports authority because they were trying to bring UFC to Canada, where it was still classified as a blood sport, and they had a big whole legal rare into that. But, um, yeah, I mean, you can check it out on YouTube. It's It's terrible yet watchable, but if you want to see some... Passable sh- uh, slack through. It's uh, one kind of worth checking out just for the sheer randomness of it. So that's basically what I've been watching. Um, yeah, anything else that you want to bring up all, i Stephen?
1: Uh, not in Asian cinema sense, but I did binge watch all of Ricky Gervais's Afterlife the other day. <laughs> I you? watched all 12 episodes, which was... Um, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Although it's a very, um, ah, what's the word? Um, it, it it emotionally sabotages you, and um, one minute you're you're sort of laughing at normal Ricky Gervais mean jokes, you know, the sort of thing that he's famous for, and then there's moments of absolute human humanity and tragedy. And what I really liked about it. Was that it was a humanist and an atheist view on grief and death, um, although it's a comedy as well, um, as opposed to a, a more religiously based one. Or, or, or you know, it talks about an afterlife, but really means about your life after other people around you have died. I, I really enjoyed it. I'd really recommend it, but um, maybe don't watch all twelve episodes in a row. <laughs>
0: I've not really watched it. I'm not a huge Rick Race fan, so I'm hardly sort of, like drawn to go and um, check, check it won't, them out it, really.
1: it won't make you a fan of his work if, if you're not um, if you're not clued into his sense of humour it's not going to win you over um, it's, okay. it's one it's one for the fans
0: yep um, if you are looking for something online to check out the BFI are celebrating 100 years of Japanese cinema with 9 online collections uh, you can check that all out at bfi.org.uk um where it's all available to stream through their BFI player. Also, we also got the news that uh, Aria asta is producing an English language remake of the Korean film Save the Green Planet, uh, one of my favorites, and I have to ask and I mean, do we really need an English language version of Save the Green Planet?
1: Well, that's a weird. I didn't know about that. So you've you shocked me with the news. Um How long ago was Save the Green Planet? Was that about 2000, something like that?
0: Yeah, it's one of the second wave. It's around the same time as uh, tonight's selection, really. It sort of came out, and I would... I mean, I really enjoyed it, so I was always surprised it didn't get more of a a
1: following than it, it did. Um... Yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's an interesting film. Um, it's a long time ago since I saw it, but it, it's 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 sort of one of those Korean films which which shifts genres around a bit during it, or it certainly feels that way. Um, what I would say is, if there was going to be a director to to remake it, yeah, I think Ari Aster has done enough interesting stuff in his last two movies, and it's great to see him get away from the horror genre. That um, I think he will do an interesting job well um, he's
0: only producing
1: oh is he? Mm.
0: Yeah, Will Tracy who does Session is set to write the remake and the film's original director Jun Huan Jiang is uh, set to return to direct so I how, how definite is this going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> the fad tariaster who's currently you know Flavor of the Week at the moment mm. um, has been linked to it would certainly say that uh, yes it is going to going to go ahead because it seems like the sort of um, the sort of person that if he's linked to a project you know it's going to happen. Kind of like if Guillermo del Toro is linked to a, a project you mm. know it's going to happen. It's um, it, sort of like the directors are going get, to get things made um, but as I say it's just an unusual one to be attached to. I mean, especially one that's that flicks between genres as much as this film does. I mean, it starts off as kind of like a wacky comedy and ends up being something a lot darker by the time it finishes.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really enjoyable film, and maybe one that we should we should put on the list to talk about. I think at some point, although we're doing a lot of Korean films at the moment. Do you remember those days when we didn't do a Korean film for like the first fifteen episodes, and <laughs> <laughs> now now we do a lot of them? Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, the the director himself, um, Jang Jin Junhuan, is is a fascinating character because after he made this, he didn't really make a film for about ten years. Um, And then he's had, um, so, uh, Hawaii, A Monster Boy, that was a, that was a big hit. Um, and, uh, the film made a couple of years ago, 1987, When the Day Comes, um, is freaking fantastic, but whatever he did in the ten years when he was only making short films and stuff, I, I, don't know, but he, he came back as this really quality director, um, but why did it take him ten years to make another feature film? I don't know. Um, and now, and now, and now, he's going to make the same film again. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I guess, I guess, we might see a little bit of this. I'm guessing this is the parasite effect. Yes, um, that that that's all that's all I can imagine is is that uh, people are looking for South Korean properties to remake, a bit like they did. Um, 20 years ago when they did My Sassy Girl and and The Uninvited and things like that um which was the remake of Tale of Two Sisters um but named after another career doesn't matter um (laughs) um yeah weird yeah but you know uh, I, I don't know, <laughs> but it's done by um, CJ Entertainment, which is the South, I've just been looking it up, so it's 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 got South Korean money behind it, so I can only believe this is not going to be the last time we have a conversation like this, where we go, they're remaking what? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Maybe they're hoping that nobody saw the original, so that they can just sneak it out at something I mean, like it, it got new it and got, quirky.
1: It got a DVD release over here in the UK. Yeah, um, that that that's how I saw it. Um, and it's really, you know, it's a really good film, and it is one of those sort of South Korean movies that should be in our top thirty South Korean movies to watch sort of lists if we ever to do such such a thing. It's just so now because it's a comedy. Comedy doesn't always travel internationally when you remake it, and it does feel like a south korean comedy to me and um yeah i i just hope they don't rip the guts out of it but that's all we ever hope in a remake isn't it
0: of course um now to japan and uh, currently you can now take online tours of the studio ghibli museum um, this is all being done through their YouTube channel. Um, we have put a link up on the Facebook page, uh, so you can go check that out. But yeah, you can uh, go have a look around the the museum. All done as a series of virtual tours. Um,
1: I don't know if you've checked it out yet or not, Stephen. But I haven't. But I have in the past seen um, pictures of the museum, and they've got a cat bus. So. I'm going to have to go and have a look, aren't I?
0: <laughs> yeah, um, so you can see things such as like, the installation room and the artwork, and you can even see the museum at night. Um, so this means that you can f- go check it out without having to leave your home or hop on a plane, uh, which is also a fun distraction, especially in these times. So, Okay, we're going to take a quick break, though, but when we return we're going to be talking about tonight's feature presentation, A Bittersweet Life. And we're back. Um, tonight we're talking about 2005's *A Bittersweet Life, directed by Kim Ji-Woon. Um, here the hitman Sun Woo, played by Lee ban Yak hun is ordered by his boss Kang uh, to follow his mistress Hee-Soo who he suspects is seeing somebody else. Now, upon discovering that he is in fact seeing someone else, Wu decides to not carry out his boss's actions, which instead leads up with him facing a violent execution as a result of him failing to follow the orders. Now escaping this fate, he sets out to take revenge on Kang and his henchmen as he extracts bloody revenge. Part of the second wave of Asian cinema, which followed in the wake of The Ring and Battle Royale and Audition, which we've talked about many times on the show, and certainly the films which helped revive that interest in Asian cinema, as audiences were left wondering what else they'd been missing. And this film certainly only further posed the question as here, Kim Jong-woo, a director who we previously talked about with A Tale of Two Sisters, followed up that film um a tale of psychological horror with the rather unique john woo-esque revenge thriller that is a bittersweet life and that's the film we're obviously going to be talking about this evening now steven i believe that you're a fan of this film before we watched it this evening is that correct
1: well yeah i'm 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 a i'm a huge fan of um anything that kim ji-woon has done (laughs) i think he's um I think he's, you know, he, he's he's regarded as sort of one of the top three modern um, Korean filmmakers, top three, top four, um, you know, along with uh, Park and the other fella who I can't remember. Um you direct? Yeah. Um, the guy that just won the Oscar, <laughs> Bong. <laughs> to, to Bong Joon-ho? <laughs> yeah. So Bong Joon-ho. Uh, Park, the director of like Old oh Boy and um, and uh, the Sympathy trilogy, and um, and Kim Ji Woon, they, they 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 sort of they were at the the, the forefront of this what, what you've called like this sort of second Korean wave of um, of movies that that made it out here, and, it's, and it was also a film that you know they they did talk about remaking as well, funnily enough. But actually, what's also interesting about this film, of course, it's got Lee Byung Hun. As, as the lead, who is one of those Korean actors who sort of made a sort of Hollywood career. Um, yeah, he's Snake Eyes, wasn't he, in the GI Joe GI Joe movies, and I think he was in the sequel to Red as well. He wasn't. Um,
0: he wasn't Snake Eyes because Snake Eyes was um, uh, the guy who played Darth Maul. He was. Who was he? Right. He was we... Storm Shadow. I actually really enjoyed the GI Joe um, film. He was
1: Storm Shadow, yes.
0: Yeah, so yeah, he was um, was Storm Shadow, and, and and yeah, I really I really liked Rise of uh, Cobra. I thought it was a lot of fun, and it's a shame that the sequel was pretty awful because it could have been a really good little franchise. But no, they decided to mess it up first with 3D, and then by putting the Riser in it, and then by turning it into another rock generic
1: action movie. Mm, and he's also in um, Terminator Genesis. He didn't really pick great movies, all right, but um, <laughs> he has had a career because he's an incredibly handsome fella. But he is also a really, really good actor. Um, and I'll maybe talk about that a bit later in the recommendations. But this is a really nice mix of a really great director with a really good actor with a really interesting take on the gangster genre so well it's ostensibly a gangster film but it's not really a gangster film in the way that we might normally look at these things it's a it's a story about one man and his journey a, a very a, a man with no real personality or life and just believes in in the honor and the and the and the, and the command structure of living within that that gangster world and um he gets a little a little view of what life's really about and it makes him question himself so it's it's a much more um philosophical gangster movie than maybe we're used to um but it's not to say there's not some fantastic violence in it right
0: <laughs> certainly so um this is uh, a film that if you want to uh artistic gunplay um, or you want to see some really colourful violence then this is definitely a film which more than, than delivers and it moves at a really good pace as well which really surprised me especially from a lot of thing, things we've been watching recently which get bogged down in minor side plots. Here it's a film that just really cuts everything right down to the bone. I mean we're obviously introduced to to this this guy um, Sun Wu who's, I said he's a hitman, he follows the the code of his clan and it's really just through this this job that uh, really sort of puts his whole philosophy of of uh, life that in this code of honor he's been following to so, you know just always do what his boss kang says um and the fact that through this chance meeting with um, kang's mistress that uh, it all sort of goes a bit pear-shaped for him and then in return, we get to, Ken gets to find out what happens when you know you betray your loyal dog. Um, it comes back and really bites you on the ass.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, it's a film that's looking at honour and obeying and, and, and all that, but it's. <sighs> it, it's not very positive in that. Um, when you th- you know we we think of um, South Korea very much being a Confucian society and people have their place in it and it's all you know it's all about how much money you've got or what your job role is and, and uh, being that head boss you know you do what he says and you do what he says without question and um, it's 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 talking about that loss of individuality because you're constrained within that Confucian hierarchy. As if you want to be a bit professory about it, (laughs) it might just be don't bite the hand that feeds you because it'll end up biting back.
0: (laughs) But yeah, I mean, right from the start, I mean, obviously we we get to see him where he's beating up um, two of the two the henchmen of a a rival clan because they basically they overstayed their welcome at um, his boss's nightclub. And he's so matter-of-fact about the way he goes about his, his work. It's not really fancy, it's just straight-up, like, brutality. Um, he, he doesn't really... He's not one for, like, clever witticisms or gimmicks or anything. He just goes in and beats the Seven Shades out of people and then, you know, goes, uh, goes back to his boss for the next sort of assignment. And even when he... Confront her. he's so and this man that she's been seeing behind Kang's back. Um, there's a scene where where he breaks a lamp in her apartment, and he says he he actually offers to pay for it because he's is not what he's intended to do. And the fact that we he actually carries through on this promise at the end of the film, I thought was just such a a nice touch and said so much about this character and and this. Sort of unspoken code of honor, because he doesn't. Unlike a lot of these characters that we've seen before, they just constantly talk about their code and what they will and they won't do. And he does. He never does that. He just. It's sort of like you just sort of draw these sort of clues from, from his sort of
1: performance here. And and he's he's really good. I mean, he's he's a good-looking fella, which helps. I think you know he's he's charismatic. Yeah. He's got screen presence. Um, and 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 he's a really good actor. I mean, this this is not his normal. You know, quite often you will find in these kind of films the same old people, and certainly a lot of the supporting cast you'll you'll see in in a million films like this. Whereas his his um acting career has been really quite varied. So he's not, hmm. although we've talked about sort of the action roles that he's had in in, in Western cinema, he's not really an action hero in in sense and you get that you know like when when he goes in the fights he sort of, just sort of jumps in feet first to me and it's, it's it's not um it's not incredibly stylized he's not a martial artist he's none, none of those things he's just a you know normal but good-looking guy that can look after himself you say that though but i thought i just when
0: i looked at these fight scenes
1: it wasn't exactly
0: any sort of like slack through he'd like it like a, a tightly choreographed sort of sequence. It's just sort of hinged more on a more direct style of combat than sort of like any sort of artistic sort of flourishes or fancy footwork. He just sort of
1: goes in and... Matter of fact, yeah. Yeah. he can he can look after himself, you know, but he doesn't look after himself because he studied Taekwondo for 250 years or he hasn't been <clears throat> to the... um, You know, he hasn't been to... He hasn't got a, a, a master that's been teaching him how to do it. He's just... He's street. He's... He's streetwise. Yeah,
0: it um, reminded me a lot of Ben Foster in Alpha Dog. <clears throat> and um, Ben Foster is really funny because um, up until this point he'd been like playing like the nerdy kid on like Six Feet Under, and then he's in Alpha Dog and he's just there beating the seven shades out of anyone that comes in. It's against his similar sort of fighting style, which is sort of like matter of fact. It's all sort of like, I have someone coming at me. What's the quickest way I can disable this? What can I use around me to sort of for my advantage and we see it during the motorway sort sequence where um the sort of the two henchmen that he threw out of the, the nightclub uh decide to confront him on the on the highway and he just basically like just walks up and he sort of like just batters one and he's like throws another through the car window and just like and then throws the car keys uh down the highway and it's sort of like, you know, I warned you and you decided to still step up and this is what happens, so
1: He he reminds me of, um, so Lee Byung-hun reminds me of Clive Owen. Okay. um, In the sense that he's got this back catalogue of roles which are, you know, quite serious, quite artsy maybe, um, but also can step it up in something. What's that film Clive Owen did where he was like, um, I'd look after a baby. Oh, shoot him up. Shoot him up, yeah, <laughs> you know. But then suddenly he's an action star, shooting guns and punching and crashing stuff. And then he go off and do something like Children of Men, yeah, like some some dark dystopian <laughs> um, sci-fi movie. You know, um, that that's what Lee Lee Byung Hun is like to me. He's sort of a really a re- can could, could throw himself into any sort of role, and you don't feel like oh he's not he's not cast correctly for this role. <laughs> he's um. He had, you know, I can't imagine anyone else being the, the lead character in A Bit of Sweet Life. It's, it's about him and he's fantastic.
0: Um, it's also worth noting that he's quite a, a youthful looking guy to say that he's actually 49.
1: He's the same age as me, mate, and I can promise you. I can promise you that you would tell the difference.
0: <laughs> um, he's also a singer as well as being an actor he's also a singer and model which doesn't surprise me being you know this being Asian cinema you can't have one job you have to have many jobs so I should have guessed he was a singer
1: yeah I mean um he was a he was a model first at one point he was um he was dating Song Haikyo who's like the, the the most beautiful Korean actress you know and and that that's her um that's not just me saying that that's her um USP, yeah, <laughs> um, Also, his his younger sister was Miss Korea. I mean, he's from good genes. He dates hot women. He's um, uh, I think he's he got married again. He's usually married to now? Uh, Lee Min Jung, isn't he? Um, you know, he's 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 handsome. He's rich, not without a little bit of scandal, but um, yeah, he's uh, he's a super he's a superstar, but not one of the superstars. He's a bit like um. Uh, what's the fella who's in A Man From Nowhere? One Bim. Um, who hasn't got a huge back catalogue of films. But when he does it, you tend to sort of take notice. Um, but yeah, he's strikingly handsome. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. And um, well preserved. But I think it's all in the genes, mm. mate.
0: Because he was caught up in a blackmail scandal from uh, by Dahi of the K-pop girl group uh, Glam. Um, and they tried to... Blackmail him for about five billion won, which is about four million, for uh, a video that they had of him making sexual jokes while drinking with him and uh, the model Lee Ji Yun. Um, now, thankfully, the the the, the, the uh, singer and the model were actually arrested, so it didn't really come to much. But it's it's a really interesting case to read up on, just what they were expecting him to do, um, including like you know. Purchasing like escaped plane tickets for them and that the money had to be brought in like two suitcases and stuff. It's it's absolutely fascinating the fact that a cape, Ooh. you think of like pod groups over here and the idea of them being involved in a blackmail scandal like this.
1: Oh, I don't know. Lisa Mafia, she probably did something like that. <laughs> <And> Lisa Mafia, <laughs> that's a name
0: a- I've not heard in a while.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I just think because this, this wasn't a big K-pop group. I mean, they they'd had a couple of hits, but yeah, her and her mate, they were they thought, oh yeah, that's um. And this is before the whole Me Too thing happened, so you do wonder if post Me Too and post that that nightclub thing that that maybe he would have got away. But it seems that he just faces up because there was another one where he was um a, an ex girlfriend, um. Sued him because she said he was he was he was physically and mentally abusive and had a terrible gambling yeah. habit. And the some TV host then sort of turned up. He was making Iris at the time, which is this really successful drama that he was part of, sort of a, a bit like Twenty Four. That that kind of feel is, is what Iris is like. And um, it turned out that this TV host who was you know trying to get the story was actually behind the blackmail no, plot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's um. Yeah, he's had, he's had a few interesting things, but he does seem to be like this this straight arrow that just goes straight to the police and says, these people are trying to blackmail me. <laughs> <laughs> and they go, alright then. And um, and yeah, and so I hope that's just because he's genuinely a nice guy and not because he feels that his um, star power wins out over um, lesser people. But that that would be my guess. And he didn't, um, the girl from the K-pop band, he did make sure she didn't actually go to prison. So, uh, Again, uh, bizarre. But yes, we digress. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I mean, obviously, back to his his character. I mean, we said already, it's about matter of fact, and I mean, he's got this real sort of arrow, uh, this aura cool to him. I mean, he just wears these like pristine suits, and yet he's going out and beating the hell out of people. And you think that if you're going and being like this sort of uh, the muscle for your for your boss, that wearing your pristine suits is probably not going to be the best. Sort of outfit of choice, really, because it's only going to get all messed up. Which certainly by the end of this film, his suit certainly does. And it's also a shame that they changed the the um, the poster on Letterbox to this really boring ass poster of, you know, it's just a sort of bog standard one. But they have the original sort of one that was on the Tarzanator Extreme had that really cool sort of bloody poster on the front which sort of added to its appeal when it really came out as part of the ratio um, extreme label
1: so yeah I mean he's um, the character's kind of interesting as well because he, he's so there's nothing more to him is there he goes back to his he's got a nice flat but he hasn't got a bed he's just got a sofa and there's nothing there although did you notice is there's, there's this pile of cans of the same food so he probably has the same meal every night and he can't sleep that's so all he does is go home, flick the lights on and off, and go to sleep, and get up and go back to work again. So he's he's a complete cipher. I think that I think, I think the fact that, that that he can pull off this character, who's got nothing about him, there's nothing for him to play off other than his sharp suit and a penchant for um, occasional bursts of violence, and and the, we as the audience. I think we're on his side, right? I would like to think, think so that we're on his side. I think he's—I think he's actually a freaking repulsive character. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, he's—he's—he's the—he's the, um, he's the nice of a bad bunch, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, I mean, as like you said
0: already, he's not—he's got very no sort of like emotional reaction to anything. I mean, the only time he sort of smiles is right at the end of the film, and that's mm. purely based on, like, one is him shadow boxing with himself, and the fact that he knows com- how completely sort of fearless he is, and the other being uh, when he sort of... We have that flashback to him watching uh, he's so performing the cello, and that he's just, like, so caught up in, like, the beauty and elegance of this, this woman, and it's the fact that he... It's his own sort of i wouldn't say it's, it's like one part chivalry and one part his infatuation with her that sort of leads him into all this sort of trouble because he basically lets her and her lover go and basically and thinks that you know that will be the end of it unfortunately his boss obviously gets wind of this and bad things befall him as a result of this but the fact that in some way he sees that this is going to somehow bring him and and this girl closer together um really says a lot about how what sort of like human interactions he has as yes he is obviously very good looking he's very sort of charming in that sort of unique way but at the same time he's got no real sort of comprehension of human interaction at all of the fact that you can beat up uh, somebody's boyfriend and then expect them to have an interest in you because it because in your mind you've done the right thing because your boss has told you
1: to yeah. and 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 similarly in his relationship with the other enforcer that works at the hotel that he's at you know the 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 more uncouth fella i can't remember his name but he he just when when the opportunity comes for his his his, his work rival to have one over on him and lead the um lead the torture um he doesn't get it he doesn't get why this guy would delight in turning on him even though he'd been an absolute knob to him <laughs> <laughs> but he just he just he just lacks these these understandings of social cues i mean it's not he's not he's not autistic or no, anything no no they're, no they're not going down that bit they're not going down that route, he just doesn't know, he's he's like a pet, he's a dog he's loyal, he does what he's told the guy whistles, he does what he's told um, there's, there's, there's a moment early on in the film where his boss basically says to him the reason I've picked you is because you just have no interest in anything other than your work he's um, like
0: um, but... Leon in uh, in, in Luke Besson's uh, The Professional which mm. obviously released over as Leon uh, Jimmy knows cleaner um, He again the fact he's this person who lives by—he has no sort of human interaction. He only sort of interaction he has with his boss, you know, played by Danny Aiello, and his boss, much like Kang, we see in this film, is very sort of keen to keep him that way, to keep him sort of focused on the job and to not have him get distracted by by other things, um, because he. It's almost like they instantly know that if they get involved with other things, it's only going to sort of affect their work, and that certainly proves true here in the fact that his affections for He-Sue basically make him get sloppy, and that's what, unfortunately, when you uh, are found as having sort of eyes for the boss's girl, uh, much less when you fail to do his bidding, it's not going to end well. Hmm. So, should we talk a bit about the with the fate that befalls him?
1: I think so. Spoilers. Spoiler alert.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, this was very surprising in how quickly this spiralled out of control. Um, as Basically, he finds himself waking up in a warehouse. He's been strung up on a, a chain. And we also get to see one of my favourite things that it seems to constantly appear in Asian cinema, where you've got a character in the in the in the room which she's basically going to be used to torture it's kind of like the slaughterhouse sequence and you have some old man or some old woman there with a mop mopping up the blood off the floor um <laughs> good good sequence yeah which we get to see we see it in uh, city of violence we get to see it again in here and um i don't know what it is i just really like seeing that
1: well it's a bit of a it's a bit of a disconnect isn't yeah. there there's something hugely violent going on he's blood's strung up there's blood pouring out of him and it's just the old lady just da just cleaning it. and he, and he tries to call out to her you know hey hey come on help me help me and and she's just not listening she's just doing her job she's just going to mop it up cuz here come the mentalists <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah and um he I mean he gets certainly... It, it When you first sort of see this sequence where he's been beaten up in the rain, again, everything throughout this, like everything in this film, it's all very sort of like shot very fantastically well and very artistic. As here we get to see another director showing a real sort of passion for presenting violence, but in a very beautiful sort of sense, much like we see in like Park Chan-wook's Vengeance trilogy. Um, it's very much the same here, and one of the key moments of this uh, this torture sequence where he's been beaten up in the rain is the fact that one of them produces a large wrench. Now, when I originally saw this film, I was watching it with my housemates at the time, and uh, one of the guy's girlfriends was like getting a bit screamish, as most people probably would when someone introduces a large wrench into it. And he said to her, don't worry, they're going to cut away at the last second. And we're watching this, uh, watching him, and he's got his hand out there, and this wrench is getting closer, and, um, yeah, they don't cut away. So you get to see a man get his hand brutalised with a large wrench.
1: Yeah, they they don't (laughs) cut away. (laughs) it's, um, obviously, it's not really his hand, but yes, it's, um, It's one of those sort of moments there is violence in this film but a lot of it is um, you imagine you've seen it but yeah you do see that (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: I mean a lot of the violence is more akin to like the heroic gunplay of the John Woo movies so things like Mm. A Better Tomorrow and Hard Boiled and The Killer that I just totally adore and Stephen doesn't (laughs) so it was really interesting to see how you obviously saw like the violent aspects here. I mean, this is... I mean, this is... The the revenge plotline itself is something that you've seen, like, throughout cinema, and here we're seeing a very sort of traditional revenge story, you know? Guy gets wronged by some other party and then comes back and sets out on revenge again, but in order to get to that part, I mean, they really you get the feeling that he really did something wrong to Kang just the the amount that uh, he's sort of put through, because it's not enough for him to be sort of like brutalised and stabbed and strung up, he's buried alive uh, which he manages to claw his way out of, and I thought that you know, that's the starting point of him going and getting his revenge—they think he's dead and buried—and he's going to come back and rise. But no, they were actually—they didn't dig the hole deep enough intentionally, so that they could watch him dig himself out, so that they could then beat him up some more, and then bury him in a deeper hole, which is a—it's a, it's a yeah. real
1: special sort of sadism, it has to be said. So, I—I'm I, going to be an equal opportunities critic Critic here because I've been mean to a couple of John Woo films in the past for their plot I'm not entirely sure that the amount of effort that Kang puts into the torture including not only his gang but the other guy's gang um, (laughs) they're all involved in in lots of torture of him what's the point if you're going to kill him at the end anyway (laughs) um because surely it's about the lesson you're going to teach him um now if you're going to teach him a lesson and you're going to kill him anyway what's the point of spending you know like you said there's a lot of sadism going on here and i just i did i did wonder like like you did when he got buried alive you thought oh gosh that's a you know obviously it's quite a lot of the film to go yet he's going to escape and 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 wreak havoc but he doesn't, and the and the torture goes on for another couple of sequences afterwards, yeah. <laughs> you know. And it was a, I, I did I did wonder, what's the point of this other than showing the abject depths that humanity can go to and indeed can survive.
0: Yeah, I don't, I mean, we we say torture, but I mean, this isn't like torture porn that we're we're watching here. This isn't like anything like that no, no. sort of stuff. It's all very sort of plot contextual, and it's it's it knows where to. To draw back, even though it's not really exactly cutting back, um, nothing's been sort of done for a sort of gratuitous effect here. Other than so. the
1: other than the other than the, um, other than the hand crushing yes. moment, it, it's not, and and it's also you know, it's it. We've turned this into an incredibly dark <laughs> film by concentrating on the essential sequence, but there are moments of levity in there. But yeah, that may be a bit bit later in the story. Um, after after his escape, he, there's a little bit of humour in there as well.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, he obviously es- escapes, and you know, he vows a sort of revenge uh, on, uh, on 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 So, um, and we see him, and he meets up with uh, with one of his his friends. And I think he has the great line, and it's sort of like, "I'm not having a good day," and the fact he's just like he's still pretty much beaten up and um, needing like a change of clothes that so his friend brings to him, and he. They have this sort of secret meeting before he like sort of sets out to gather what all the bits he's going to need, including buying a handgun from a pair of. I don't I don't even know how to describe these two bozos that he goes to buy this handgun of. Because
1: oh, I think I think bozos is the right idea, the... but but then you go and meet their boss, who's a bigger bozo. Listen, <laughs> these are two
0: guys who managed to, in a completely open field, still managed to find something to crash a car into.
1: <laughs> and this is what I mean about that. This this section is is a little more comedic, yeah. isn't it? And 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 continues on to when you go and meet their boss, where you have one of my favourite scenes of the whole film, where 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 the penny drops to the the the, the guy that's basically sort of sells the guns. Suddenly realizes who he's got in the room with him because he gets a phone call from. I think it's a phone call from Canada. Yes, that's he? right. And 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 they have a where they've both been playing around with practicing how to sort of take a gun apart and put it back together again. And they're racing to get their gun put <laughs> back together so they can shoot each it's other. It's
0: such a fantastic <laughs> sequence as well because. It it's so set up that uh, LeBancourt's character is like going to be at the disadvantage because this guy's like giving him these like XKGB pistols and he's really sort of talking him up and he's like You see him there disbanding it, and at the same time, his because of his like mangled hand, he's there sort of struggling. You see him fumbling with all the bits as he's he's taking it apart, and then as you said, he's. The the arms dealer's on the phone to Kang, and you see that moment of realization. He's like, "Wait a minute! I, <laughs> I need to get rid of this guy as quick as possible here to to claim this little sort of here And you see him like scrambling to it, and it's it's almost like this John Wick style moment where mm. you've got two people competitively trying to build their weapons so they can shoot the other person. It's like a like an artistic Russian game of
1: Russian roulette um yeah no it's it's and, and and of course what it also highlights is is that he's not been a man with guns before he's an enforcer with his fists and his feet yeah um i don't remember him earlier on in the film using a gun at all i could be wrong no
0: he hasn't uh used a gun at all but i never got this sort of i never even sort of stopped to like think that you know that's not his his skill set um but yeah i mean up until this point he just like if he's going to deal with anyone it's always like i said with his fists and his feet he just goes and beats people up
1: in that opening sequence where the um the rival gangsters are in the karaoke room and he goes in with his his younger colleague the one that he actually meets later on in the in the car park um minji um his colleague shoots someone but he doesn't he goes in feet first fist first you know he's he's that that's not his star, and that again gives us an example of of how far he has fallen. What he is going to have to do to get his revenge is is, and it's in a way it's a sign of character growth. He's he's changed. he has to be different to to get his revenge.
0: And um, yeah, I mean that after he's, we obviously have that sequence, we have him do that great scene where he's chasing one of the arm dealers down the hallway. Because he ne- he doesn't run. He's got this real sort of Terminator-style attitude to his work. He just constantly walks um, after these people he's pursuing, and uh, we see this guy just run into a door. Which is again, it's these bizarre comedic moments that somehow don't detract from the
1: film, uh, which I thought was really sort of nice. And it, this all because they because they're somewhat constrained in this in this sequence in this part of the mm. story. Um, it's uh it's almost like, you know, we've we've been through that horrible torture sequence. We're gonna go to the revenge. But let's just have a little um let's have a little Keystone Cops moment in the middle. With still with some violence and some blood and some yeah. death. But uh it's, there's there's just this little bit of Again, we're used to it, aren't we, with Korean films that there's 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 tonal shifts. If it's not a genre shift, there's a there's a tonal shift. But here it didn't it didn't feel as jarring as it can do in other films. It just felt like well, that's 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 what this chapter's like then.
0: And this obviously ultimately builds up to the big nightclub sequence at um, at uh, Kang's bar um, slash restaurant, and whatever you want to to call it. Which I thought was really fun. There's some really there's fun little set pieces there, and it it's that tapping into that sort of John Woo style of heroic gunplay. Uh, nobody's big on reloading and everybody's firing a lot and flying through the air but um I thought it, as I said the whole sort of sequence and the fact that Kang gets dispatched pretty early on um really was a bit of a shock because normally you have like the henchmen being dispatched first before you have the big the big bad eye um getting one between well, the eyes I,
1: in fact it's it, it's it's more than that because they um the, the the other rival the other bad guy in the film, um, uh, Burke bake, yes, bake Bake isn't it? Um, got rid of him the scene before at the ice rink, you know. So the the two people that would be the end of level bosses are out of the way very very quickly. The
0: problem is now that whenever I see an ice rink because of Deadpool, I just instantly think that someone's going to be a Zamboni. <laughs>
1: no Zambonis here.
0: No <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you find like the the shooter sort of sequences? Because I mean, it did I love all that sort of like heroic gunplay and as said through coming up watching like John Woo movies and and um, Ringo lamb films in particular, it it's sort of like sort of thing that that I really sort of vibe on. And here it's given that sort of Korean twist. It's not just imitating like. Or going to the same sort of extremes as those Hong Kong movies, um, it's doing violence, but it's says I it's doing it in in the director's own way. He may be paying homage in many ways to, like the films of John Wick, uh, John, not John Wick, John Woo. He's definitely doing his
1: own he thing. He absolutely is. He he absolutely is. Kim Ji-Woon, as we talked about when, uh, I think, when when we did Taylor Two Sisters, he usually makes genre films, but he always does a genre film on his own terms. So this is his gangster movie, right? and his gangster movie of course is actually going to be some kind of existential story about a man finding out about the beauty of life but has to find out about it and die at the end because of the violence but the the, the the violence is beautiful yeah the violence is also sharp and shocking and you know no, no one here really survives 500 bullets and there's no doves flying around and there's none of that crap going on but it is very much in that in that world. But it hasn't happened throughout the film. And the end sequence isn't terribly long either. So we're not talking about 30 minutes of, of people running around. The, the 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 final nightclub scene is probably 10-15 minutes oh, yeah. long. Yeah. Real, real yeah. Um, it's still very stylish. Um, and... Everybody dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you don't... Um, you know, the the, the violence comes... It, it's, it's not something that is being... Fetishised. It's very bloody and it's very final. Um, so even though he's he's done this film, as a, like, you know, it's, it's an existential story about about the, the what it's what it is to be human. But it's really stylish in terms of that that violence and that gunplay. You can take out, you know, you could watch this film and just enjoy the the violence if you so wanted to. And that that's something that Kim Ji Woon does so, so so well in every film he's made. He's he does every genre film on his own terms. You know, that Taylor Two Sisters is a horror film, but it's not, is it? It's 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 a psychological thriller. It's a story about all sorts of other things as well. And I do feel this is this is the same. So um, but he's clearly inspired by John Woo, you know, and, and 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 his ilk. There's no there's no getting away from it. And it's not like this wouldn't be the same if Park had made this film. Yeah, it would have been it would have been a very different film. Equally as stylish, but a very different feel to it.
0: Yeah, I think that if Park had done it, then I think it probably wouldn't have had the the action scenes that we we have here. Um, certainly, those would have been a lot more sort of subtle. I think, perhaps, within, in terms of the torture sequences, those would have remained the same. Um, and I can also see him doing the the gun, um, the gun. By a sequence as well being pretty much being pretty much the same but i think that the ending it would have it's it's hard to say i mean as i said when when we look at like especially films like the vengeance trilogy how those three end it's about um people finding finding justice but is it often like the right person finding the justice
1: yeah, and and obviously the vengeance trilogy films are very much about if you go out for revenge, bring two shovels because you're gonna have to dig your own grave as well as the person trying to get revenge on. This film is top and tailed by two sort of Buddhist quotes, isn't it? And um, I think the op- the opening one is something along the lines of you know there's a, there's this there's this Buddhist monk and he speaks to his master and he says you know is 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 the um, is the tree blowing in the wind or is it um, Oh, I forget what the what the opposite of it is, but it's basically, and the guy's saying no, no, it, it, it's it's about what you are, and it's about how you are within the world, and the film is absolutely informed by that that sort of that Buddhist view about who you are and what part you take in the world, and how you perceive the world and how you perceive yourself in the world. Whereas I think Park would have been more more interested in in, in that tenant of revenge, and why revenge. Never works, <laughs> and, um, and it would have been a much more colourful film as well. I think if it had been um, so, this film is stylish, but it's not Park stylish. No,
0: yeah. I mean this film takes it, large you know. takes place largely in in, uh, in in the noir twilight. Really, it's it's. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think the lights off. Quite yeah, often, exactly. Yeah. I think I mean this is obviously he's got more of a sort of noir sort of sort of styling to it than 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 everything. Um But yeah, I certainly enjoyed it, even though it's obviously doing things that we've seen many times before. I mean, obviously, the revenge genre, there's only so many ways you can go with it. Uh, But at the Mm. same time, it feels very original, and the fact it's shot so crisply and the plot is so tight on it, it just really made it an absolutely enjoyable experience throughout. And certainly a film that is worth. Rediscovering now, even if you, if you missed it sort of like the first time around, because it sort of came when it came out, it had a lot of buzz around it, and it seems to have been kind of like forgotten for whatever reason. Um, which again is really confusing. is the fact that here we have a film that's sort of big on the is it, it's sort of accessible and it's violent and it's good by a director of note, um, yet all three of those elements don't seem to have made it sort of have that same sort of uh staying power that we've seen with other films release released the it's same time. It's very
1: interesting yeah, it's interesting you say that because within Kim Ji-Woon's sort of filmography there were there were four films, <laughs> he knocked it out of the park, four films in a row Taylor Two Sisters, then this, then the good, the bad, the weird, and then I saw the devil. So you, you have his, his horror film, his gangster film, his western and his um, serial killer movie. <laughs> I and... how you're going to describe <laughs> so that one so... <laughs> But I'm pretty certain that of those four films, people remember the other three. Mm. Yeah, and it's kind of got you know as as great a film as it is. Like like you, I saw this years ago, and it was a joy to rediscover it again. It felt very fresh and very new. I remember bits of it, but um, it it's almost the the forgotten one of the of, of his. You know, he's he's made fantastic films: Quiet Family, Falcon. Uh, what else did he do um age of shadows is pretty good but the these four is is the guy at the top of his powers and this is the one that seems to have been i don't know i I just feel it's been forgotten about And, and and i don't have a huge gang of people that i'm talking about korean cinema with all the time but uh it's other than you dear audience of course but um yeah, I, I think it's not quite a hidden gem, but it's a film that I'm really glad that you've picked to dust off and re look at.
0: Thank you. Um, anything else you want to talk about this one?
1: Yeah, I just want to talk about a couple of the other players, okay. um, just to put it in sort of context with, with this sort of era of, of Korean cinema. So, um, the. What's her name? The girl, Hei Ru, is it? Um, is played by Shin Min-A. Now, Shin min I mentioned a couple of episodes back, that she starred in the Go-Go 70s film that I'd watched, and she was fantastic in that. Um, she's one of the great mysteries of Korean cinema, that why she didn't become one of the biggest stars of all time. Um, a model. Um, this was probably her first super big role. Um, but it never really took off for her. Um, probably... This was about as good as it got in terms of film. She was in um, My Mighty Princess, which was sort of one of the films done by the My Sassy Girl director that didn't really work. But she's made a huge career in some really successful Korean dramas. So, like I said, she's a model first, but her film career never worked, but her TV career did. But you know, she, she's good value in, in this, and she's not fetishised too much in this, even though she's the, sort of the inspiration. It's not really about her beauty so much, it's about the fact she plays the cello and she's living a life. Um, and she's forgotten about. Her character's basically forgotten about for two-thirds of the Yeah, movie.
0: it's um, really... She's at the start, and then, as you said, once we get on... To, once the job goes south, um, she's completely yeah. forgotten about until the end, and it's kind of like a one of the final sort of thoughts of um of, of our lead man that uh is of this this girl that he's uh, had this obsession with
1: yeah and and she's a catalyst more than you know he he doesn't ever profess his love to her he's not he's it, it, i'm not even sure it's about love i think you know or lust or anything like that i think it's just about here's someone that's living life and he and it, and it sparks that oh my god I don't have a life aspect of it. Um, the other one is I hadn't realised who was Burke in this film. So the sort of the, the son of the rival crime boss is is played by um, Huang Jung-min, who is one of the most successful actors, one of the great top three actors of Korean cinema, you know, one of those guys, you put him in a film, that film will make money, sort of guy, um, unrecognisable in this film, he was actually a stand-up comedian originally, I think and, um, he's appeared in a ton of films and still does, and so I I hadn't even realised he was in the film um, so he's got the sort of a a fake scar on his lip, which kind of changes his appearance a little bit, and the, um and the crew cut as well is very unlike him. He's he's a very uh, he's got some very flamboyant hair for a Korean fella, um, normally. But he's um, yeah, he's a huge star, and he's really interesting in this because it, it just teeters on the edge of a bit of over the top, bit pantomime. But he's also really really kind of dark, so it was really cool to see him in this as well. Um, I don't think we've seen him yet, but um, he he wins. Um, He's, he's a he's a big award-winning man uh, stage actor as well but yeah really really big star and in this film he's i don't know sixth or seventh build which is kind of interesting and that's it i think you know i think um just wanted to bring attention to a cu- couple of couple of faces that that i recognize from other films um just to show it isn't just a one-man performance
0: Okay, so if you obviously liked A uh, Bit Sweet Life, what would you recommend people check out next?
1: Alright, I'm going to pick three films okay. again. Um, I was wanting to pick another Korean gangster film, and I really struggled because I had a look to see other Korean gangster films, and I hadn't seen that many. And it's not as that it's not a fertile ground. There are, there are plenty of, of Korean gangster films around. Um, but one i watched that that predates this by uh two or th- three years um is friend which is a mix of sort of coming of age story about four four kids at, at school and 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 so sort of they grow up and one of them's the son of a gangster and one of them's the son of an undertaker and one of them's a uh, a, 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 you know, a a star student and a couple of them end up in crime um, it, it, it there's a sequel to it it made a really popular TV show um, it's really 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 good um, and that really is a, a hidden gem certainly for a western audience so it's just a, a slightly different take on the um, on the genre because it's also mixed up with a sort of a coming and age story um if you want to see Lee Byung-hun in a different sort of film, I would go for The Harmonium in My Memory. I can't help thinking I've suggested this film before, um, which is basically he plays a teacher from Seoul, who back in the 60s goes off into the countryside and as a teacher, and he basically gets, he basically gets posted into some back-end school, and it's a really beautiful um coming of age story to use that phrase again um uh, with a with a stunning performance by jeon do who's um one of the great actresses of of modern korean cinema um you probably know from the remake of the housemaid and probably her most famous role and she was in the handmaiden as well i think but she's she's really good um so, the Harmonium of Memory that's that sort of that's from that sort of 1999. So, um, it's more of a peppermint candy era okay. rather than this this sort of post um, post 2000 era. And if you wanted another uh, uh Kim Ji woon film, but also have some Lee Byung Han and have some Song Kang Ho and have some Jong woo Sung, basically the Eastern, the good, the bad, the weird, um. Uh, a nation-set western that's just bloody fantastic with three of the top actors on the top of their game, and it's a. Although it's it's kind of based on the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, it's it's a bit wackier and more fun than that. And um, another film probably will end up talking about in the future. So they're my three.
0: Yeah, the Good, Band Bad, and the Ugly uh, is certainly one of the top of the. A string of eight easterns that came out. I'll put it up there against uh, the likes of uh, Suzuki Western Django from uh, Takashi Mike, which also featured a rather interesting cameo from one Quentin Tarantino. Um, for myself, uh, there's a couple that I would. Uh, Sort of pick out. First off I would uh, go with Man From Nowhere which is from 2010 and which we covered previously on the show. Um, very John Wick in it's sort of uh, construction uh, which you've got the former special agent turned loner who's basically uh, running, now running a, a pawn shop and uh, ends up uh, looking after this young girl and I think it was a film we both enjoyed when we, we discussed it on the show
1: it was it was a film actually that I didn't enjoy when I watched it originally, and enjoyed Im- and, and only I was just there was one shot that stuck with me when he jumps through the window and the camera follows him, which obviously is now a thing which has been done by all kinds of films, born born films. I'm looking at you. <coughs> um, but actually, watching that the second time, I think if we go, I can't remember what episode it is we 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 covered it, but it was a film that I enjoyed way more when we. Um, when we when we recovered it, um, but absolutely that was going to be one of the ones I was thinking about choosing as well. So good call. Um,
0: next up, I would say Full Time Killer from 2001, which for myself reminds me a lot of the Sylvester Stallone movie um, Assassins. As um, here, you've got a professional assassin named O. Who um, is basically trying to find a way out, and at the same time, you've got the flamboyant and reckless Tok, who's uh, basically on a mission to expose who O is and uh, take his place as the number one assassin <coughs> in the game. Really fun, uh, really sort of fun, fun movie, and there's some really some interesting flamboyant films, especially as uh, when you look at the assassin Tok who's just. Got no sort of subtlety to anything he does. Everything's played for dramatic effect and he draws a lot of inspiration for his hits from action movies. So, one of the big hits he uh, does, he's seen wearing a Bill Clinton mask because he's paying homage to Point Break. Um, The... The last one I'm obviously going to say, and that's obviously that you check out some John Woo. Um, in particular, I'm going to say that you go back, that you go check out Better Tomorrow for some classic cherry on fat. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of of this one in particular. I think that it was that what he did with this film he did better with the likes of the killer and then better again with hard-boiled but i think if you're going to watch some of the john willow heroic uh, gunplay movies definitely start with bear tomorrow and then work your way through them and look at things like the killer and bullet in the head and uh end with hardball which is sort of like his grand um it's sort of like his touch of um of heroic gunplay movies as even now there's nothing that comes close to just the insanity of that movie uh, but I think if you go in and watch Hoboil first everything that sort of came before it may seem like a little bit of a disappointment because it's not of the uh, same sort of craziness but certainly um, about tomorrow and it's sequel about tomorrow too are both worth,
1: uh, worth checking out and that if you're doing the drinking game is a dig against me about watching the films in the wrong order
0: <laughs> no i do not saying I, just, I said i Told you when you, I told you when you watched it, I said to you, watch Better Tomorrow First and The Killer, and you were like, no, no, I'm going to go and watch our board, and then you didn't even like our board, so it was a waste of time to begin with, so. <laughs> and then you felt that the plotting of the killer, as we discussed in the episode, was, you know, was a, it, the subtlety of the, the uh, plotting of the killer wasn't uh, for you, so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but that brings us to the end of uh, another episode of the Asian Cinema Film Club thank you as always for listening and uh, wherever you happen to be listening to us please do hit the like and subscribe buttons and uh, maybe leave us a review it all helps raise the profile of the show you can also check out our blog which is wordpress.com which has not only got our full archive of episodes but on there you've also got our mixtapes you've got our writing bits including David Brooks film uh, movie vault series um, so plenty to check out there as well. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram uh, where, and where Facebook in particular we have some really interesting uh, fun discussions happening all the time so definitely worth checking it out uh, there and uh, getting involved in the discussion. But um, our next episode is a big one. It's episode 50. And Stephen what are we going to be looking at to celebrate such a momentous episode?
1: Well if if I've got the remember my is correct um there is a big director a big japanese director we haven't talked about in 50 episodes or if we have talked about we've only talked about him in passing um this wasn't our original choice but we we decided to to buck the trend and go somewhere else so it's about time we talked about akira kurosawa and what better place to start than his most internationally known film the seven samurai
0: So that's coming up on our next episode, Um, also look out for our very special episodes as we're going to be adding to our top 50 uh, Asian cinema list once again. Myself and Stephen are both going to submit 25 films to the list, bringing it to around 100. Uh, You can check out the first 50 tales that made our list over on the blog as well as in our feed there so you can see what the story has been so far. And uh, that's obviously all to come. But uh, yeah, definitely join us next time for episode fifty, where we're going to be talking about Seven Samurai. And uh, thank you as always for listening, and thanks to my co Stephen.
1: Pleasure as always, sir. And,
0: uh, we'll be back as said, already talking about Seven Samurai. But until then, good night.
1: Hey.
0: 昨日の恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ月が砕け散っても夜なのさ